you'd like to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ooh, Ecclesiastes. If you have trouble finding it, go right to the middle of your Bible. You've got Psalms. Just after that is Proverbs. Just after that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Because, yeah, we're in, um, in our series looking at the subject of God's wisdom, uh, looking at the wisdom books, which include Psalms. We just put those to one side because they pop up all the time, including this morning already. Uh, and the book of uh, Song of Solomon needs its own series for very clear reasons if you read it. Um, maybe we'll, we'll turn to that sometime. But we're focusing on Job, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs for uh, about three months in total, up, up to um, December. And today we're going to look at a portion of Ecclesiastes. We're going to talk about the subject of seasons, seasons of life. Because um, we, we all know what that means. We're in different seasons of life. Life has its peaks and troughs and its better moments and its less better moments. Um, and sometimes we can wish our lives away when our current season of life bears elements that we, we're not enjoying. Um, sometimes we can think we're in the best season ever, but actually in the moment, therefore, we can sometimes fail to spot how comfort and ease some, can sometimes be leaving us weak in some areas uh, when it comes to discipline and so on. A bit like John was talking to us last week about the danger of laziness and so on. Sometimes we can get a bit too easy in a good season of life as well. They all come with their different elements and flavours, don't they? But life is complex. We experience different seasons of enjoyment or difficulty or gain or loss and so on. And sometimes those things happen together, right? Uh, it's not just a season of this and then a season of that. Sometimes they merge and sometimes seasons are a mix. Even Bob and I were talking about sometimes a day you can feel like you've been through all the seasons of life, can't you? Um, you know, uh, Charles Dickens, anyone here has read Tale of Two Cities? Um, who knows the famous opening line... It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. What, really? Both at the same time? He elaborates in that opening paragraph, he elaborates, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. He's talking about um, uh, extremes and inequality in society. He's talking about the complexities of life. And he's even talking about the fact that no matter which era you read that passage in, it still applies. Even now, all these years later, it's still like, yep, that's today. Because... Even today, our society carries this same kind of paradox. You know, we're in the best of times in our society. We're in the best of times when it comes to healthcare. And yet people are still failed by that system. We are in the best of times regarding technology making life easier. Yet we're also in the worst of times when we are enslaved by that technology. Best of times, worst of times. Uh, but sometimes when we're looking back at seasons of life and eras and so on, we can have the perspective that it was, a bit, it was better in the old days. Back in the day, it was better then. Uh, but then again, we don't today have rampant cholera or cinemas full of cigarette smoke or women not having the vote. So it was better in the olden days. Yeah, for who? Well, I probably shouldn't say this, but you know the American MAGA 
hats make America great again, I'd like to ask them when that was. Because <laughs> I can guarantee it would have been great again for them, but not for people not like them. Does that make sense? Yeah? When was, it, when was the best period anyway? Really? Things don't change that much. Here's someone talking about um, the children around them. He says, uh, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and they love chatter in place of exercise. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up dainties at the table. They cross their legs and they tyrannize their teachers. Do you know who said that? Socrates, 400 BC. <laughs> People's opinions or observations of their time, they haven't really changed all that much over the eras, really. Uh, and the traits of the times can be more similar than we think. So, life is complex. Everything changes, and yet everything stays the same. And so how can we, as God's people, walk well through all seasons of life, with all the different factors that make them up, in a way that honours God... And, and doesn't make us um, despondent, perhaps, or even dependent on our circumstances for us to be happy and hopeful. Sometimes we can do that, can't we? Uh, circumstances can dictate our emotions. How can we as Christians not be swayed by that? Well, King Solomon had the same um, question, and he reflects on this very thing. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he's looking at what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of life, and he's like, ultimately, he says, without God, it's just vanity. It's vapor. It's nothing. So he writes this, um, what we call Ecclesiastes. I'll talk about that in a minute. And here he wants to, particularly in this passage, he wants to consider life's complexities. And he wants to, to help us to know um, where true hope and contentment is found, no matter what season we may find ourselves in. So... Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is where we're going to read from. We're going to read, ultimately, we're going to read the first 15 verses. But we're going to do it in three sections. For now, let's just read the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. This is what King Solomon says. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Just to explain a little bit of um, what Solomon is doing with this particular book in, in its entirety. Um, Solomon, if you don't know, he was known as, um, after Jesus known as the wisest man who's ever lived on this planet. He's the second wisest man to have ever lived. Notably because God offered him whatever he wanted and he asked for wisdom and God granted it. And so because of that, the first half of his life and his reign over Israel was an absolute golden age to the point that he and Israel were the talking point of other nations. 
And some of them came to have a look. But the second part of his life saw him and his nation implode. Why was that? Well, he'd been the poster boy, if you like, for leading and living God's way. Yet incrementally, bit by bit, his life drifted into great error and he ended up marrying and sleeping with hundreds of women, literally, and practicing other religions to the point, ultimately, where his life had completely unraveled in sin. In in fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it describes it, um, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That did not happen overnight. And yet here, we now get Solomon... In this, he's in now in his latter kind of more reflective, regretful and repentant part of his life. He's now looking back, he's seen the error of his ways and he wants to pass on this heavy lesson that he has learned the hard way. Um, so ultimately, the man who wrote Proverbs is not the same Solomon at all who wrote Ecclesiastes. He's now a very different guy. And he has a very important message for us all. And that is the point of the title of the book. See, Ecclesiastes, I always used to assume, it's a collection of Ecclesiastes. Each of these sayings and thoughts is an Ecclesiastes, and this is the Ecclesiastes. That's not what that word means at all. I'm just applying my English way of how words work. It's not. The word Ecclesiastes is a title for a person. They are, that person is the Ecclesiastes. And the Ecclesiastes, it means teacher. Or more, even more specifically, it means the one who addresses the assembly. The Ecclesiastes is the person who addresses the assembly. And that word assembly, in its version in Greek, is what is used throughout the Old Te- uh, New Testament for church. Ecclesia. Ecclesiastes. It's the person who addresses the church. It's the person who, the teacher who addresses God's people. And so Solomon here, he is the Ecclesiastes, the one who is addressing the church. And he's desperately trying to teach us, God's people, ultimately we're going to have three lessons today. He's going to, he wants to teach us these lessons so that we too learn from his mistakes and he points us to God. Because if Solomon, the wisest non-divine person on this planet, can get life so wrong, so can we. So as we discover, the answer is not to stop bothering and give up. What's the point then? What's the point in trying? But actually the answer is to look to how we can walk with God in light of his wisdom and truth. And that's what Solomon's trying to do here. So first of all, the first lesson he's trying to teach us is simply accepting that seasons change. Accepting that seasons change. Because we can begrudge the season we're in for whatever reason, can't we? And understandably as well. But in this section here, in chapter 3, this is a poem that he's written of these pairings, isn't he? These opposites, um, these ingredients of life. He's reflecting on the flip sides of life, the positives and the negatives of a secular life. One lived without acknowledging God looks like this. You've got that and that and a bit of that and a bit of that and a bit of this just happening. This is what happens. There's gain and there's loss and there's joy and there's pain and so on. He's encapsulating everything. As he says right in the first verse, everything for everything the season, there is a time for every matter under heaven. And he starts with the big ones, the big bookends. There's a time to be born and a time to die. 
Job chapter 14, uh, verse 5, Job says to God, he says, man's days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Our days on this earth are very much in God's hands. Now, we can understand that bit, or at least just accept that there's nothing we can do about it. Well, I can't do anything about being born. I was. And I can't do anything about dying, because we all do. So whether we like it or not, we can accept that bit, don't we? But what we, <laughs> what we tend to wrestle about um, often is all the stuff in between. <laughs> right? Because life contains many ingredients. There's beginnings and endings. There's pulling down and building up. There's starting and stopping. There's speeding up and slowing down. There's grieving and celebrating and so on. Life is the sum of all its parts. And whether we like it or not, is, is, it is whether we like it or not, it is very much this mixture of positives and negatives, the things we laugh about and the things we cry about. That doesn't mean that any of it is without value or shouldn't be there. In terms of, the, the positives are obvious. You know, things for, the times for healing, times for planting, times for dancing and so on. We can see there's value in that. I like that. I'll give that worth. <laughs> I'll have a bit more of that, please. But the more negative aspects are not without their own worth. Um, they're definitely there. They're definitely part of life. American poet Carl Sandburg, he once said that life is like an onion. You peel it off one layer at a time and sometimes you weep. <laughs> but while we can wish those harder times away, and we do, and we can and we're allowed to ask God to keep us and our loved ones safe from those experiences. We'd rather not go through them. We do nevertheless live in a broken world that we are not magically immune from. And sometimes um, there are our own lessons that we need to learn, which we can only learn from a certain place sometimes. The, the phrase about, is it, you never know what you've got till it's gone. Sometimes we... God needs to lead us into a place to appreciate life from a different perspective for our benefit and for our growth, for our maturity. Sometimes some lessons can only be learned the hard way. Now, I need to be sure we understand this. Solomon is not saying life is life, get on with it, put up with it. He's not saying that. Nor is he saying that God is responsible for calamity and sickness. He is not and he is not a tyrant. Solomon's not saying that either. What Solomon is saying is that none of it is out of God's control. And if God does not immediately divert our life's journey from difficulty, it's not because he's mean and it's not because he's measly. It's because he's always got the best destination in mind. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of Job. And if you've any idea what that man meant, went through, if you've read the book of Job, then you'll know it's something you would not wish on anyone. But even he could say, it says in John chapter 1, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then it follows it up, and in all this, Job did not sin. In saying that, he was not sinning. That is a righteous declaration. God gives and God takes away, and that is a righteous truth that he said. Now, so while God is not the author of sin and its effects and its consequences, 
That's not on him. That's ultimately on us and our rebellious choices. We've brought that on ourselves. But God is the author of our days and of our salvation. And so he will use all things to weave our growth and his glory. All here in these pairings, all these experiences, all these activities, they all have their opposites. And yet both in each pair, they are always operating under God's rule and God's reign. And then that is why Solomon then continues from verse 9. We're going to read, let's just read from verse 9 through to verse 13. This little chunk here, a few verses, is a good summary of the whole of Ecclesiastes. It's a good headline. And this is what he says. So what gain is the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Because he's now stepping back and starting to reflect on this as a whole, rather than getting happy about the positives and down about the negatives. He's stepping back and looking at it as a whole. And he's teaching us our second lesson about understanding that all seasons have a purpose. All seasons have a purpose. He's placing this complex recipe for life under the light of God's wisdom and rule. Because Solomon's dad, King David, in Psalm 139, verse 16, he says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has established our, every one of our days long before we even existed. It is all in his very capable and caring hands. It's all under his domain. And so Solomon is simply acknowledging that amongst all of this messy mix of life, there is a place for trusting God's timing and having a healthy patience to know that God is up to good and not the, not the other. We need to look at it from God's perspective, particularly when it comes to time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he says, do not, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The, door, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, Instead, he is patient with you. He is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everything we experience is an invitation to seek him and find him. When we're in times of abundance, for example, then we have every reason to fix our eyes on him, the one who is the giver of all good things. Right? But also when we're in times of struggle... We have every reason to fix our eyes on him, the one who rescues us and brings us safely home. We just need to trust his purposes and that they are good. Um, some more scripture. I'm just going to keep throwing scripture at you. It's good. Isaiah 46, verse 9. I am God and there is no other. 
I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. He's declared it and it will happen. And his purpose is always his glory and our growth. His purpose is always about his holiness being honoured and our holiness being refined, if you like. And so throughout this ocean of change, ocean of life that we face around us, his unchangeable mercy means that he determines to keep safe any and all who we will receive him and for us to grow within that. That's his purposes and he will see them happen. Which is why in that same chapter, Isaiah 46, just a few verses earlier, God says, listen to me, O house of Jacob. He's speaking to his people. All the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth and carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to grey hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. Hear his father's heart in that, beating away. Hear that. Whatever you, my people, are going through, this is what I am doing and this is what I will do. And remember what I've said beforehand about the Hebrew, when God says, I will do this. When he's saying, I will do this, he's saying, I have done this. That's how Hebrew works. We can't get our English doesn't get our head around it. When, when he says, I will do this, it's the prophetic present tense on it, it's called. I will do this, he is also saying, I've done it. Because he's outside of time and he's established it and it's in place and we can trust it every single time. And so Charles Spurgeon, the big Baptist minister from the 19th century, <laughs> big Baptist minister, <laughs> he was, bless him. Um, uh, he said, the seasons change and you change. But the Lord abides ever more the same and the streams of his love are as deep as broad and as full as ever. Whatever season you find yourself in, maybe you're in a season right now, you're like, I'd rather not be here right now. Whatever season you find yourself in, even if it's one of grieving or weeping or silence or despair, just know that, as Spurgeon says, the streams of his love are as deep, as broad and as full as ever. What a precious father we get to know through Jesus, eh? Which then brings us, finally, to our third lesson. This whole theme is emerging of God bringing his people safely home, right? Through all seasons of life. And so it brings us to what we get to learn as our third lesson today, is that this earthly season is preparing us for the eternal one, ultimately. We're in an earthly season that is preparing us for another one. Solomon says in verse 11, as we've just read, he said he has put eternity into man's heart. We are eternal creatures. We are made for eternity with God. That's what we humans are made for. And it's by our choice that it's possible to miss out on that. We are spiritual creatures. We are body and spirit. And it, that lifts us above the mere physical and it gives us a future beyond our earthly deaths, whether that's a future that's with God or a future that's not with God. That's what we're bound for. And so life on earth is effectively one season in itself preparing us for this next season 
beyond death. And so Solomon, he finishes this section. We're going to read verses 14 and 15 now. He says this. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. There it is. That which is to be already has been. There it is. And God seeks what has been driven away. He's been seeking us all along. He's seeking what has been driven away. He's been seeking us all along. Our sin has driven us from him. Our rebellion, our choosing ultimate uh, contentment outside of him, our our making other things or people or ourselves and setting them up as alternative gods to live for or to strive for or to choose. Doing that has sent us in the opposite direction, away from the one who is eternally good and eternally giving. But, thankfully... He is so eternally good and giving that he still insists on using all these ingredients of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to draw us back home to him. We just simply need to choose to accept that invitation. So just to paraphrase the Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, he said, Eternity to those in Jesus is a day that has no sunset. The sun will never go down. Eternity to those without Jesus is a night with no sunrise. The sun will never come up. So if you know Jesus, you are always, even right now, you're always basking in his marvellous light. And you always will do. Hallelujah. If you don't know Jesus, you're currently living in a place of shadow and ultimately with no hope forever. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss out. Come and meet with the one who is seeking you, seeking that which has been driven away, seeking while he can be found. It's up to us how we walk through this however many years long uh, season of preparation for what lies beyond. But just one question to ask ourselves, am I living for the author of my days or am I living for myself? Whatever season I find myself in, Am I reacting to my circumstances or am I revering the one who is above it all and has got me safe in his hands and will never let me go because of Jesus? Whatever the season or combination of seasons you may find yourself in right now, just know this, God is unchanging. He is always seeking that which has been driven away. And we can trust him. Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's dependable. Regardless of where you find yourself right now. And that's why Paul, he can say in the famous passage in Philippians 4 that often gets taken out of context, but we can understand it in this context today. Philippians 4, verse 12, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Radically different seasons of life. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Only Jesus is the unchanging, good, constant in this life. He's the only one we can truly and fully depend upon. 
And so it's in him. I want to finish with Solomon's dad's words. King David um, is, is someone who faced all these seasons, all these pairings that we've just read right at the beginning. He faced all of that in his life, didn't he, King David? And yet at the end of chapter, uh, Psalm 16, he could sing and we can sing with him in Jesus. He sung this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's just keep our eyes fixed on him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the one unchanging, ever good, ever giving constant in life. We thank you that no seasons are out of your control. We thank you that no circumstances are a surprise to you. We thank you that you're not the author of sin, but you're the victor over it. And you draw us through safely, whatever we walk through, whatever storms we go through, whatever calamities we may face, whatever turmoil we find ourselves in, the good, the bad and the ugly of life you use for your glory but also for our growth to discover true joy in you regardless of what we face, to discover true peace in you regardless of what we face, to discover utter, utter hope in you regardless of what we face. So we lift ourselves to you. You know where we're at, we know where we're at. We place ourselves in your wonderful, ever-seeking hands. Lord, help us to rest in the palm of your hand to know that you've got us, to know that we are yours. And let us live out of that place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.